Hello there. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. It's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of agriculture. Now, there are several different, you could call them methods, I guess, that I use to decide on topics for this show. Generally, though, the ideas stem from something I'm just deeply curious about. And the idea for today's show happened as I was working on another podcast I produced for the NDSU Extension Soil Health Group called Soil Sense. Uh, If you haven't checked it out, you might really enjoy it, especially if you enjoy this episode. You'll love Soil Sense. In season two of Soil Sense, I was interviewing a farmer named Mark Olson about strip tillage. It was a fascinating topic that I was really interested in, but what really piqued my interest was the way he kept speaking about the company behind his strip tillage equipment. I mean, he kept talking about his soil warrior guy that had been so helpful to him. And I believe he said something in the interview to the effect of, I just can't say enough good things about soil warrior. Now, I've spent a lot of time conversing with farmers, and of course, for podcasts and radio interviews, but also going back to my eight years in grain merchandising and even beyond that, clear back to when I was a kid. And it is very rare for them to rave about any vendor of any kind. So most times it either comes down to they're not very good or they're inadequate in some way, or they charge too much. (laughs) And it's very, very rare that someone uh, who's a farmer raves about one of their vendors. So naturally, I wanted to learn more about this Soil Warrior company. And it turns out that Soil Warrior is the product, but the company behind it is actually called Environmental Tillage Systems. They're based in Minnesota. So today's episode is about Soil Warrior equipment, but Also about just strip tillage in general and what it takes to become a farmer's favorite company. Now, I want to be clear about something from the outset here. This is not a sponsored episode. In fact, when I tried to track down the folks that make Soil Warrior through Spencer Stensrud at Ag Ventures Alliance, thank you, Spencer, uh, they told me it was best to probably just talk to one of their farmers to answer all my questions. I mean, this is the type of customer focus that is often spoken about by everyone in agribusiness, but actually extremely rare. Uh, I pushed them, though, to ultimately allow two people to join me on this show. We have Brian Ryberg, who's a farmer in Minnesota and, of course, a Soil Warrior customer that they actually call a Soil Warrior evangelist. In fact, he's one of over 500 of these Soil Warrior evangelists. And also on the show is Brent Bruland, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Environmental Tillage Systems, which again is the company that makes Soil Warrior. If you're new to the idea of strip tillage here, don't don't let the terms kind of get you confused. I'll start with a very oversimplified explanation. Uh, it's a process where instead of a farmer tilling an entire field, he or she only tills a strip wide enough to plant into. That way, most of the ground is left undisturbed, which has benefits for erosion and compaction and trafficability and overall soil health. However, the tilled strips provide benefits such as warming up faster in the spring to plant into and placing nutrients right in the root zone where the crop can take them up through the roots. So there are other benefits as well, and Brian and Brent are actually going to discuss several of those in our episode. 
even if though soil conservation isn't your thing, it doesn't interest you, which I, I think it should interest you, but in case it doesn't, I still think this episode is worthwhile because you're going to get a great glimpse into a farmer's thought process and also what it takes to be the type of company that creates evangelists. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where farmer Brian Ryberg is telling the story of what led him to strip tillage. Yeah, a long time is, is right. I started farming in 1986 with my dad, a partnership. We transitioned to strip till about five years ago. This will be our sixth year now in, in uh, 100% strip till. Just kind of coming off the high corn market years, and we were raising all corn and our sugar beets and those soybeans at the time because the market said you're going to make the most money raising corn. In Renville County, everybody said it had to be black. And so we were doing a lot of fall tillage to make sure it was black. And I tell this story so many times, but it was really our aha moment. Fall of about, let's see, 13, 12, we had taken on a grove on a rented farm and there was some pasture land and we planted corn into it. And the next, about this time, mid-June, I looked at this corn and the corn in the pasture land was six inches taller, maybe a foot taller, darker green compared to our conventional tillage next to it. And at that time, we were working with a neighbor and, and crap consultant, and I said, you got to look at this. What's going on? And so we started to get on the soil structure story, and I thought, geez, what are we doing to our soils by beating them up with tillage? And started looking for a better way, and somehow researched and landed on strip tillage, and that kind of got the ball rolling, and away we went. And why not go complete no-till? Uh, we were just concerned, uh, being this far north, that... That might be a real leap of faith. We still we need need to have soil warm in the spring, and and so we thought kind of the best fit would be the strip till because you'd have that exposed black strip to warm up. As we get more comfortable with this conservation transition, maybe that would work. But we still have to deal with fertility, and you know, in a no-till system, we actually do some custom work for a guy that insists it has to be no-till, so it's kind of fun to play on his checking account. But we've seen some issues with laying that fertilizer on top. And so we get the best of both worlds, I think, by reducing our tillage, yet having that root zone full of fertility. When that plant germinates, it's right there. It doesn't have to move over 20 inches either way to find fertility. It's right, right there. And I understand that you grow sugar beets as well. Do, do those work in a strip tillage system? Yeah, we're the first ones in the state of Minnesota to raise sugar beets in a strip till system, I'm told. I contacted our agriculturists at our co-op at the time and proposed the idea to them. And, and they said, well, that's not going to work. And I said, why isn't it going to work? And they, well, nobody's ever done that before. Well, that doesn't mean it's not going to work. And by that time we were committed, so we knew we got to make this fly. And uh, I had some mental reservations as I'm planting that first spring. And we had a rain coming in, so I'm planting late into the night trying to get this field done. And as I my light shine across the field, I see all these burly corn stalks standing up, which is very unusual for sugar beet ground. And yet I look behind me and I'm planting into this nice black strip. And had to convince myself that the beet seed doesn't know. It, it knows it's planted into a black strip. It doesn't care about what's happening 11 inches over. And it was going to be okay. And uh, so it 
really became more of a mental challenge than the actual agronomy or physical challenge. So this worked very well. Now, how about back in whenever it was, I think you said 2013, when you started all this, I mean, it's a big risk to, to change something you've been doing at that point for 20 years to something, you know, brand new. What, what did you do to try to manage that risk in the uh, transition? Um, we did a lot of research. Two guys that have been with me, uh, one now for 10 years, another for 17. I mean, they're all in. They act like partners to me. And uh, so I, all our decisions are made together. We just started doing a lot of research and knowing we needed to make a change and economically to make this switch and to purchase the soil warrior. Obviously, it was a big cash outlay, so it wasn't something that we could just stick our toe in the water and try. We, If we're going to do this and lay out that expense, we got to justify it by getting rid of some other equipment. And we just kept coming back to the idea this is done in other parts of the country. If we do our research and we talk to a bunch of people, went to a strip-till conference, got to know some people that we're still good friends with today, and they've been very good at mentoring us through those first few years and sharing good and bad experiences to try and uh, help us avoid some of those. And, and we didn't learn everything right away. We had a few pitfalls we had to overcome, but uh, just knew we had to make this leap of faith. Why do you think more people don't consider making this change? Uh, well, Brent can probably tag on this thought too, but... You know, I, th I think it's definitely an economic issue, especially right now with tight margins in the grain business. But for a lot of people, we were, we were kind of fortunate that we basically were able to sell off kind of excess or duplicate equipment that we had to help fund the purchase of the Warrior, where somebody else maybe is a little bigger plunge because they don't have a second set of equipment that uh, could disappear. But... I think the real challenge is the mental challenge, just the idea of change. And how do you look to your peers? And, you know, what are the neighbors going to say here? The coffee shop's going to talk about me. And is this really going to work? And I know for myself, I never worried about the, the warrior doing its thing or being able to plant and harvest the crop. It was always the mental things that I had to reassure myself that, this was a good move and that it was going to work out fine. Do you remember a time where you convinced yourself it was working, that it was going to work out just fine? Yeah, I think we got through that first year after jumping in 100% and, you know, just seeing very similar yields to everybody else in our area, being very pleased with, with those are some very good producing years. So um, very happy with, the outcome and so you just felt more comfortable going into the second year and of course third fourth and fifth just get that much easier and we actually kind of tested ourselves a year ago we had picked up a pretty big chunk of land and had to kind of farm that conventionally in the spring because we didn't uh, acquire it till march so we didn't have a chance to strip it the previous fall so here we are on some of our acres farming conventionally and my guys were frustrated because they'd much rather plant on strips and we're out there with a field cultivator and we're picking rocks and I just 
thought to myself as I'm helping do some of this, what a waste of time. There's just such a better way. And so we really look forward to last fall being able to strip those new acres and kind of get them into our system and not have to be in that position again this spring. Great. Well, yeah, Brian, we'll let you have a break here. And, and Brad, from your perspective, you know, in sales for, for selling Soil Warrior, what's the common story that you get, the type of producer that's approaching you, and, w- and what's the problem they're approaching you with to wonder if maybe this might be right for them? So Brian touched on a lot of those things, um, but economics is one. So it may be a big cash outlay to, to switch to strip till, but the upside of it is, you know, the reduced passes equals reduced labor, reduced uh, time needed to go in the field, reduced outlay, you know, cash for fuel and, and all those things. You know, you've got one pass across the field, you've got your fertilizer in, you've got your tillage done, you can eliminate all these other things. So management is another another thing. You can, Brian's been farming for 36 years or 34 years, whatever it is. He can roll out of bed and he can go do his farming, you know, without even thinking about it. And anybody who's been farming conventional for years can do the same thing. If I got to roll out of bed and go, now which button do I have to hit to get this machine to do this? And my whole system is, and I got to have the co-op come and tend this or do that. The management level is completely different um, when you switch to strip till. You can't just do it out of rogue memory. So that's another concern that we have. I, I don't have another guy who could run a planter because we consider running the strip till rig. You got to be able to run a planter. So Makes sense. And what it, what is the the learning curve for somebody operating the Soil Warrior equipment? So the learning curve is probably from two hours to a full day for to get people comfortable. And we have 24-7 support to keep those guys comfortable and running, especially if you, a lot of our customers are running 24 hours. They're running spring strip till maybe they're trying to stay ahead of two planners and they've got guys in there for 12 hour shifts. So we're available for phone calls because the hired man may have trained the other hired man and he doesn't remember exactly what to do. But most of the time it's, you know, everything is, is precision GPS, um, mostly automated, a lot of warning buzzers. If you, you know, have a plugged row or something, it's no different than running, a, I want to say, a planter. And maybe, Brian, you might disagree, but... Um, you want to weigh in here, Brian? Yeah, I'm chuckling because uh, my nephew is our techie guy, and and it's kind of his baby. And, of course, he puts in some long hours trying to get things done. And so I've often offered to jump in there, and he evidently feels I'm not quite qualified to run it yet, so it's kind of his baby, but... Uh, I very seldom get to run a planner either, so maybe my skill level has declined, and as things have gotten more technical, the guys kind of take ownership of that stuff and and leave me out of it, which is fine. There's always other things to do, but uh, I think Brent's right. You you know, you sit in the seat for a while, and you're going to catch on. Where Chris that runs it for us is is very fussy, and and he knows he's you know essentially laying out the rows for the planner the following spring and and so he's very articulate and very accurate with how things are done so that we can just come in with the planner and by the time we're done planting everything looks nice and you know we pride ourselves on everything being straight and coming out right and so that there's you know a, a little more finesse to it you definitely can't throw your retired landlord that used to run a ripper for you in there and go so the skill level is Brent talked about, you know, is escalated in a system like this, but because you have fewer people that you need, 
uh, hopefully you can find that person that'll sit in the seat and do the good job. And Brent, for you, most of the new customers that that are coming to you, are these people who are new to strip tillage for the first time, or are they already doing strip tillage and just looking for a new piece of equipment? We have our equipment all across North America and in several other countries as well. We say there's a lot of missionary work in the eastern part of the U.S., and there's a lot of, we need to change your brand in the western part of the U.S. So in Nebraska, they've been strip tilling forever. You get out to the East Coast, they have a lot of rocks. They have a lot of other issues. They have not strip-tilled. They're primarily no-till or conventional. So about 50% of our customers are new to strip-till, and about 50% have either tried it in the past, didn't quite work the way they wanted it. There was a spurt back in the 80s where it was a big thing, and the equipment was not what it is today. And then um, the other half, they just need to get away from their shank and into a culture system uh, for the most part. And change their equipment brand. So about 50-50 split in new strip tillers versus existing ones. And I know uh, the way that that you all look at this is you're not just selling a piece of equipment. You're actually kind of a, you know, strip tillage solution provider. Can you speak to that a little bit more about kind of the difference between just selling another piece of equipment and actually helping people with their new, you know, with their farming system? Yeah. And that's exactly it, Tim. It's a system. Um, we have a lot of strip tillers or guys that want to go to strip till that say, well, I just, I just want the bar. I just want to go make some strips and I do this with my fertilizer. I'll have the co-op thrown on top, you know, or whatever. And it takes some agronomic talk and, and showing them some data to walk them through. Well, here's the synergies you get between the way we place the fertilizer and the way we do the tillage. And there's a, you know, a bigger benefit than just making a strip using a system like ours. What is the market potential for strip tillage? And, and maybe talk to us about, you know, the amount of acres that, in your mind, you know, should be going to, to strip till and what that would mean if they did, not just for your company, but for the sustainability of, of our farmland. Yeah. So, so depending upon whose numbers you look at and whose numbers you trust, and unfortunate for us that USDA and NRCS lump strip till and no-till together for the most part as a conservation practice. But it's estimated between 3 and 6% of Midwest farm ground is strip-tilled now. And there's estimates over the next 5 to 8 years, it'll go up to about 10 to 12%. So basically doubling the amount of strip-till acres. In those potentially um, compromising watersheds like the Ohio River and, and Lake Erie and, and places like that where they no-till now and put all their fertilizer on top, big risk of erosion if they start strip tilling, one of their benefits is going to be they're going to stave off some legislation that's going to tell them that they have to go, you know, to X practice to be able to continue farming. And other things, you know, by switching to strip till, you may pick up land. I think Brian's experienced that. Landlords that are maybe second or third generation removed from being on the farm don't quite understand things. But if you tell them, hey, we're going to build your soil and it's going to be better than when your dad or when your grandpa left it, that may help someone that strip tills pick up land that uh, someone conventionally tilling may not get. And have there been any studies done on the trade-offs between no-till and strip-till? Obviously, Brian spoke to the fact that, hey, you can put your fertilizer exactly where you want it and and the, you know the plant doesn't have to go looking for it type of thing. Uh, but what about on the flip side of like, you know, what are you losing out on by doing some tillage? So I guess the only thing that I can see... Um, losing out in strip till versus no till is if you're in a highly, highly erodible area and 
it's nice to say you can farm on the contour all the time, but there are actually fields that have hills that go two directions. So you may be going up and down a slope at some point with a strip till machine. Now, if you strip for a lot of years, your soil is probably more of a, we want to call it a sponge. So it's got a lot of earthworm activity and enough diversity in the soil that it'll absorb a large rainfall. But um, in no-till, you know, you've left 100% or 90-some percent of your cover, so you don't get as much erosion. And it's rare. I mean, we probably get one call a year about somebody who had strip erosion on a on a four-inch rainfall event over two hours. But, you know, Brian may have some some ideas on this as well, but that's mainly the thing that we see is the potential for erosion on a multi-slope field. So, Anything to add on that, on Brian? Yeah, I think Brent hits it on the head there. I mean, he sees more uh, variability in landscape where they're doing business. In our immediate area, we're fairly flat, so erosion is really not a problem. But I would say that might be the negative thing with the strip is that you're still doing some tillage, although it's it's rather minimal, especially with a coulter rig like ours versus a shank. But some would view that as maybe a, a negative thing. I think there's so many other positives over conventional tillage that once you start sharing that story, people really start thinking about it. And we, we continually get questions. People want to come to our farm on their own and, and just take them out in the fields and look at it because they're watching. And so it's always kind of fun to see somebody very interested in what you're doing, but always nervous about change. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. If I can throw a comment in here, I, I was talking to a grower this spring who was taking an older landlord, maybe in their late eighties on a tour of his fields. And um, this is one landlord. They'd switched to strip till two years ago and this is their second year. And he noticed that some of the other fields they were driving by looked, you know, better than his. Uh, he asked what the difference was, and they said, well, we strip-tilled those, you know, and we got the fertilizer built into the zone, you know, and it's right where the seed needs it. And they didn't think this guy would ever want to change from what he'd been doing, you know, for 80 years. And so they didn't even say, hey, we're going to strip-till this year. And his comment was, well, you guys better do that to my field next year. Um, so it's like, the proof is in the pudding when you got the landlord there and he's looking at it going, well, why didn't you do that to mine? And that producer is really excited because all the other landlords were like Brian's and yeah, that's great. Sounds like a great system. And this was the guy that they thought would never change. And when he saw it in action, he said, boy, I'm kind of missing out here. Whenever I talk about this, it seems like one of the concerns that comes up is, oh, the field just doesn't look as clean, especially when you've got that, you know, nice black soil that that I'm sure Brian has up where he is. It doesn't look as clean. Is that a legitimate uh, concern, Brian, that you hear from other people? or And is that something that's actually keeping people from considering what might be the right business decision? Oh, yeah. This? Yeah. People are just, you know, we're, we all pride ourselves in our crop looks as farmers and we have a somewhat close neighbor and we've done some custom work for him and in the sugar beet side of things and he's a heavy tillage guy i mean he he's got an abundance of equipment for what he farms and everything has to be worked to a t and look perfect before the planter comes in and that way again in the fall and we talk Oh, monthly. And, and so they always call me after harvest and say, well, geez, you know, how are your yields? And I'll share with them exactly how they are. And, and it, I mean, he doesn't even come close to us. And I, you know, I, I don't want to be forward enough to tell him you're just doing too much tillage. You're hurting your, 
your crop or your ground. And uh, so I I can tease him and he takes teasing pretty good. And I'll just tell him, well, maybe you got to try strip till. And he says, you know, I can't believe you get the yields you do for the way your crop looks or the way your fields look. And so for some people, it's, it's tough. You know, you you look across the field and you see these corn stalks sticking up all over and some people view that, that you're a poor farmer, but, uh, in the end, we'll compare our yields with anybody and, and have shocked some people with what we do and yield wise. And so it's there again, it comes back to a mindset that doesn't really matter how your field looks. It's about the net in the end. And that's what really matters. And my banker seems awful pleased. So definitely it, with this, uh have been possible for you 20 years ago, Brian, or was it, did it take equipment like Soul Warrior to make this attainable? Yeah, I think this is a lot more palatable today. You know, the GPS guided guidance has drastically improved so you can stay on the strip. Equipment has gotten so much better. You know, the advancement in, in all those technical aspects, the metering of the fertilizer is so accurate and all the controls there. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure it worked for those that were doing it 20 years ago, but I think it works a lot better today. Now, Brent, I, I want to give you a chance here to, to brag on your company a little bit. So Soil Warrior is the brand and is the equipment, but the company is actually environmental tillage systems. The reason that we're kind of having this interview today is the, the way that another farmer was kind of raving about his experience. And I'd love to hear from you about you know, what does it take? We have a lot of ag entrepreneurs, like ag tech type entrepreneurs that listen to this show that are probably wondering, like, how do I become a farmer's favorite company? And so I'd be curious to hear kind of like what you're doing that makes that is boosting the customer satisfaction to the level where it clearly is. Boy, if I had to answer for that, I would uh, probably put it in the can and sell it. Um, so um we don't have customers. We don't have partners. We have uh, soil warrior evangelists, I call them. So there's 500 and some of you out there right now, and Brian's one of those. Everyone that we have equipment with just seems to sing our praises without us, you know, forcing them to do that, obviously. Part of his service, we're there, like I said, 24-7. If you have a question, call your salesperson, call the service department direct. We've had people this this year alone, someone needed the part in New York State. We drove halfway to New York State that same day and got they met him halfway. So we'll go above and beyond to keep that guy in the field because probably 75% of our company either lives on a farm or came from a farm. So they understand you only have so many uh, hours and you're planting uh, spring planting season. You got to get those soil wars, you know, keep them running. The other 25% of the people in the company it's kind of bleeds onto them. They understand that, um, you know, these guys get 50 chances in their lifetime to put a crop in and we're not going to be responsible for, uh, you know, slowing one of those down. So, so that, that's a big thing. It's just our relationship with our customers rather than, um, we're here to sell a piece of iron and be transactional and maybe they'll come back and maybe they won't. We want to make sure everything from the first time they run it to five, six years later, if they're ready to buy a second one or replace the one they have that, there's no question in their mind that what they're going to do, they're going to come to us. And what is your, your sales channel? Do you, do you operate through, you know, kind of retailers that sell them or is it all direct with you? For the first almost 10, 12 years um, of Soilware's existence. So 
16 years in commercial business now. Everything was direct. In the last four or five years, we've put on um, half dozen dealers on that. We like to call it the fringes of the U.S. corn area. So we have a couple dealers in New York. We have a couple dealers out in Nebraska and Colorado. We have one in Ontario and one down in Texas. So we have sales and service guys in those dealerships that can get to a customer a lot quicker. The rest of the area and, and the, anything outside the U.S. or Canada, we sell direct as well. So there's regional sales managers assigned to each one of those areas. And then we have service technicians with trucks and trailers that are also stationed in those areas, outlying areas that can respond quicker than coming right out of Minnesota. So, Well, obviously this works in corn and beans and, and sugar beets we, we hear of. Uh, what other crops? I mean, is there a reason this can't work in kind of uh, vegetable type crops as well, or uh, is it already? Yes, it is. So I get to see being a part of the sales team, I get to see a lot of the country and other countries um, and different crops growing up on a corn and bean farm here in Iowa. It's great to get out and see what other people do, but we've got tobacco growers in Kentucky, you know, running on 40 inch rows. We've got um, vegetables in Michigan that are running and then they run twin rows. So they, they run our twin till attachment that gives them the ability to plant two rows into that strip. It widens it out a little wider. We've got, besides Brian's sugar beets, we've got a, a dealer actually out in Nebraska and Colorado that also grows sugar beets. And he's really happy about, you know, stripping for sugar beets. Um, and if you've ever seen a sugar beet seed, it's really tough to even just see a seed. They're so small. So you got to have a good seed bed for that. We've got guys that are trying to run canola into strip till and canola is normally a more of a drilled crop than a planted crop but they're putting it into rows and having good success with that just about any crop can be strip tilled unless you're trying to drill it in at you know seven or nine inch spacings and then you basically are in a no-till situation so yeah that makes sense uh i have a note here that the world record corn yield came on strip till is that right that's correct. Um, so David Hula, Renwood Farms out in uh, Virginia, set the new world record this year, 616 bushels an acre. Um, and that was on a Soil Warrior strip-tilled uh, field. Um, he's held a world record a couple times previously, and those were not strip-tilled areas. And he switched to run the Warrior 30-plus years of no-till on their farm, and he switched to run the Warrior three years ago. This will be his fourth year now, um, and he's hoping to break his record again. So That's incredible. I, it's hard to fathom that, that much cord coming from an acre. Um, one more question for you, and then I want to switch over and maybe close out with Brian here. Uh, Brent, you know, talk about the future of environmental tillage systems in a soil warrior are are you all you know committed to staying focused on strip till and you're you know this in this market's going to grow is going to double here in the next few years or do you have your sights set on you know other aspirations as well where's the company go from here so we, we were founded by a farmer who didn't like rocks he didn't like working on equipment and he didn't like beating the soil up so he he invented the soil warrior um to eliminate those problems that he had um, built by a farmer originally, built very tough, and built with one thing in mind was to get tillage and fertilizer placement done. And our company has stayed like that. If you look at our equipment, everybody says, hey, this is built heavier than it needs to be. And we say, well, it takes a lot of abuse. And if you don't like working on equipment, this is the one for you. 
So we're staying with that mantra. We're, we are the strip till experts. There's a few other companies that only do strip till equipment, but for the most part, you know, they have other lines. We focus all of our engineering time, all of our sales time, all of our marketing time on strip till, and we want to be the, the experts um, in that field and not be distracted by anything else. So for the current foreseeable future, we're going to be focusing on strip till, refining our product even more, uh, maybe coming up with some new strip till products but um, all geared towards strip till. All right. And, and Brian, for you, you've been you've been at this, I think, over five years now, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, w- what types of long-term impacts have you seen on the ground you farm? Oh, I really noticed the difference in soil health. I mean, that came first year or two. I remember the quick story. Uh, fall of 2016, we were really wet. We had strip tilled for a couple of years and had a friend of mine sending me pictures of Combine stock, cart stock, deep tracks throughout the field. Finally finished that day with a text he sent me that uh, they had just completed the first 200-acre field of corn harvest, and they thought they had a chain hooked on something 40 times. And we were just the opposite. We we knew it was wet. We knew it might be a challenge. We harvested all our our land, maybe at that time about a fourth of what we farmed, that was uh, pattern tiled, so we knew the drainage was good. Never left the track. I remember having a conversation with the guys in the shop. Okay, what, what rented farm are we going to go to that maybe isn't drained so well? And how much of this field can we get? And we, we chose one and we went for it. And the end of the story was we harvested everything and never left the track. So our soil structure changed so fast just by limiting the amount of tillage we were doing that we could carry that weight and we immediately were noticed by other people. Um, guys would call and say, how can you get across that farm? I don't see any tracks. I'm like, I don't know. We're just going. So we really seen that. A couple of years ago, I bought a penetrometer. And sometimes uh, I'll sneak out in the neighbor's field and just kind of test how we're doing as compared to how they're doing. And that's very noticeable. I mean, it, you, can, you can take a random spot in our field and shove that thing to the handle three feet deep. And you'll get 10 to 12 inches and hit a hard pan in the neighbor's field. And there you sit. Notice it in water infiltration. Just really can see that change in soil. And it became a good reminder again as we picked up this chunk of land a year ago. And could see the difference just as you planted. I mean, just looking at the soil. So we knew we were making some good choices and going the right way. I'll ask you a variation of the same question I asked Brent there, which is, we got a lot of people listening that want to be farmers' favorite companies and want evangelists the way that, you know, Soul Warrior has developed the 500-something of you. What advice would you take from maybe your experience with Soil Warrior and advise other companies to approach things the same way? Well, I think Brent hit it on the head. Their customer service has been phenomenal. I got myself in trouble one day. I'm on an advisory board for my bank and there's also a John Deere dealer on there and we actually hosted the meeting at our farm and so we're walking through the machine shed and showing off our soil warrior and whatnot and how we do things and somebody asked about well how how good is the company and I I said I've never had as good a service not even from John Deere or Case IH or whoever and this guy kind of spoke up and didn't think that was a very fair reaction but they have just been phenomenal to us and 
you know, we're, we're 80 miles from the factory. So that has some advantages and that's partly why we chose them as we researched, but everything we read was they were the Cadillac system. And I would echo that to anybody. I know numerous guys that have started out with maybe something cheaper or something they thought would be a better fit for their farm. And once they had issues with that and ended up uh, going to a warrior, they, they finally have agreed that that's the tool they need to own. So we have just really enjoyed our experience with them. The, the equipment is built like a tank. Just as Brent has said, we've had very few troubles. Initially, we had some some issues in our narrow rows uh, with residue flow throughout it. Went back to Soil Warrior, they immediately came out with a solution, and uh, that's just the company they are. They've been just phenomenal. Great. Thank you both. Uh, Brent, any any parting comments from you before we let you get on with your day? No other, you know, appreciate both your and Brian's time helping us get our story out as well, because, um, you know, strip till is... It's not what your grandpa's strip tail was, is what we like to say, because, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, when someone converted an anhydrous bar to strip tail, it may have gotten a bad taste in people's mouths. And um, nowadays, like Brian said, our RTK and GPS is phenomenal. Metering is better. Equipment materials are built better. So for anybody that has considered strip tail or tried it in the past, I'd encourage them to come and take a look at the new Soil Warrior systems. And um, it's a completely different game, so... Great. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate your time, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. I always enjoy to talk about it. Share the story. Thanks very much again to Brian and Brent for being on the show. Make sure you go learn more about what they're doing over at SoilWarrior.com. If you're appreciating this show, there's a couple ways you can support. If you'd like, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or join our membership community over at Patreon.com forward slash agriculture. Hey, thanks so much for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. We'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.